Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. Hello? The mooch is gone. He's gone. A lot has happened since we last spoke. Okay, so you're back from your honeymoon. Let's just brush all that aside. Congratulations, etc. Thank mo- you. I want to talk about the mooch. President Trump's high-profile press secretary, Sean Spicer, resigning in protest, objecting to the president's decision to hire New York financier Anthony Scaramucci. Chief of Staff Reince Priebus is out as Chief of Staff. General John Kelly is in. And the New York Times is reporting U.S. President Donald Trump has removed Anthony Scaramucci from the communications director role. You're fired! Welcome to Tell Me It's Gonna Be Okay, the podcast for people who are freaking out about Trump. There's a lot of us. I'm Mia Friedman, and I am the co-founder of the Mamma Mia women's media company in Australia. My co-host on this podcast is Amelia Lester, the former managing editor for TheNewYorker.com. She's a former Good Weekend editor, a journalist, and she brings the facts and I bring the feels to this very important conversation. It's Tuesday, August 1st, and the mooch is gone. Anthony Scaramucci who was the newly appointed communications director at the White House, appointed by Trump just, oh, I don't know, 10 days ago, has uh, now gone. He's now been fired because apparently we are living in an episode of The Apprentice, except it's the entire free world and it involves the nuclear codes. To explain what all this means, as usual, I called my friend, Amelia Lester. I woke up this morning. It's Tuesday. Yes. The mooch is gone. Tell me what's happened. So I read a great tweet about this, which said, to summarize, Spicer quit because of Scaramucci, who took down Priebus, who was replaced by Kelly, who took down Scaramucci. So let's just unpack that a little bit. Sean Spicer, who is famous for being impersonated by Melissa McCarthy on SNL. Mm. Now I'd like to begin today by apologizing on behalf of you to me. Spicy. Scary spice. They seemed like more innocent times, the time of spicy. (laughs) They did. He was like kind of respected by the Washington establishment. He was sort of a guy who seemed, you know, he seemed like a good guy. He was in the Navy Reserves. He was someone who was well known to the press corps. He quits because Donald Trump says he wants Anthony Scaramucci, who basically seems like kind of like a mafia boss in like a 1980s mob movie. The president has really good karma. So Scaramucci gets hired, Spicy quits. Scaramucci takes down Reince Priebus. Reince Priebus was the chief of staff. As someone once said about his name, it sounds like the name the devil would give himself if he was asked very quickly for his human name upon arriving on Earth, (laughs) Reince Priebus. And then... (laughs) 
<laughs> Reince Priebus was part of the Republican establishment. So Scaramucci arrives, says we've got to get rid of like the Republican Party figure. He suggests replacing him with John Kelly, who's a former Marine general. He's a serious guy, John Kelly. He was he was running Homeland Security. And he comes in a couple of days ago and he gets rid of Scaramucci, the very guy who told Donald Trump to hire Kelly. Okay, so back up. The one part you left out was the sucking his own dick part. Yeah. <laughs> How could you leave um, that out of this, this week? Because that was kind of important, right? Because from what I understand, Ivanka and Jared were behind Scaramucci's appointment and Trump, and they all liked him. Why did they like Scaramucci in the first place? So Scaramucci is kind of like very similar to Donald Trump in terms of his position in New York. So some people have said that Anthony Scaramucci is what Donald Trump thinks he looks like. He ran a hedge fund in New York that actually made money, unlike Donald Trump's businesses. He's a part of this sort of New York finance establishment, which Ivanka and Jared are also part of. So they suggested Donald Trump hiring Scaramucci because this is all part of their push to quote unquote professionalize the White House. They think that the Washington establishment don't know how to do politics. They think that their New York finance friends can do it better. So they hire, they, they tell Trump to hire Scaramucci. Here's the problem. Scaramucci is unhinged. So last week he calls Ryan Lizza of the New Yorker. He calls him on his cell phone late at night. There is some suggestion that he's been drinking. Mm. Um, and I can't imagine why, given what he said. Most, <laughs> he gives the most arranged interview that anyone can remember, anyone in politics giving ever. You know, among the things that he says in this interview, he says that Steve Bannon likes to fillet himself. He says a lot of swear words. There's a lot of vulgarities. The word um, cock blocking is used. Cock blocking yeah. is used quite a lot. <laughs> it's it just sounds completely deranged, and I encourage everyone who hasn't read it to to read that piece. And yet, so that, he's not the one that got fired after that interview, right? Which is interesting. Um, instead. Dead rights Priebus gets fired, and the way people read that is that this is all part of Donald Trump. Um, this this is double, Donald Trump doubling down. So we should be very scared about Priebus getting fired because even though I'm no fan of the Republican Party, at mm. least the fact that he was from the Republican Party meant that he was upholding certain norms of governance that we have become used to. So, like, from what I understand, he, after the pussy-grabbing tape came out, he said that Donald Trump should withdraw his candidacy from the president, right? So he's, I won't say he's got a heart and soul, but he's got some no, semblance of normality. <laughs> exactly. He doesn't have a heart and soul. No one in the Republican Party <laughs> these days does. But he has a sense of normality to him. Mm -hmm. So the firing of Priebus was all part of the Jared Ivanka cabal going, we know how to do politics better than the people who have been doing politics their whole lives. We're bringing in our New York mate who runs a hedge fund and we're getting rid of the one guy who was the bridge between the Trump presidency and the Republican Party establishment. So that seems like when Priebus was fired, and by the way, he was fired in the most terrible way, it was sort of the equivalent of when you're broken up with by text message. What happened was <laughs> that he was on a, on a flight um, with Donald Trump coming back from New York where Donald Trump gave another unhinged speech, which maybe we'll get to, where he endorsed police brutality. They were coming back on, on the flight from New York and apparently they, they land in D.C. and um, Priebus is told that he's that 
he's gone and he has to find his own way home because he's kicked out of the presidential convoy of cars, taking them back to the city centre. So he literally, it's like you're fired, like like on a reality show, like you're fired and then bye, you have to leave the mansion immediately. You know, there is a theory during the rounds that maybe Donald Trump actually thinks that he is filming The Apprentice still because he's firing people at a rate that he would fire them on a reality TV show. And there's a really fascinating piece out um, at the moment, also from The New Yorker by Emily Nussbaum, who's the New Yorker's TV Mm. critic. And in it, she watches every single episode of The Apprentice. And this is actually very hard to do because those episodes are not available on Netflix. Like they're, they're hard to dig up. And what she concluded from watching those many hours of terrible television is that as the ratings went down, so as Donald Trump got more and more desperate, um, because the ratings did go down, he got meaner and he got more brutal and he, he, his personality turned darker. And I think that there's a real, um, analog to what we're seeing now with the, the sheer rate of the firings out of the White House is that he's getting desperate. So, that's an interesting analog because Donald Trump is at unprecedented levels of unpopularity. So this morning, a poll came out from his approved pollster, Rasmussen, um, the pollster who he actually says he trusts, which puts his disapproval rating at 60%. So it's typically around 40 at the most, maybe, you know, 50, 52. To get to 60, it means that members of the Republican base have now left his side. (gasps) They're turning because because America's very 50-50. So to get a number up to 60 is is really unusual and barely six months into his presidency as well. And he hasn't even had anything bad happen. I mean, he hasn't done anything, but he also hasn't faced any major crises. So George W. Bush was an unpopular president, but that's because in part, he got America involved in two wars that are still going on. Donald Trump, hasn't even done anything like that yet and he's already this unpopular so i think that's why we're seeing these firings happening at such a rapid rate is it that finally the american people are reacting to how how he is just literally pissing all over the oval office and the flag in terms of how much he is disrespecting the office of and what it means to be president with Scaramucci, with the things he's saying, with the speech he gave to the Boy Scouts, uh, you know, like literally not a couple of days go past where it's not chaos. And when you said he's not doing anything, he hasn't faced any crises, they've all been of his own making and we haven't even mentioned Russia. Right, which we should get to because there were some further bombshells on that just in the last couple of hours. Hit me. Um, Hit me. What are they? What are they? What's happened with Russia? I think it would be great if we get along with Russia. So the Washington Post published a real bombshell of a piece. It said that sources close to the president were on Air Force One when he drafted Donald Jr.'s response to the revelations that he had met with Russians. So... Just to backtrack, remember Donald mm. Donald Trump Jr., his son, uh, he's the brunette son, not the blonde son. Yeah, the, um, the son that, he, that, that Trump keeps referring to as that kid, even though he's a 39-year-old man <laughs> with five children of his own. Anyway, he it came out a couple of weeks ago that he met with um, Russian government officials to talk about getting dirt on Hillary Clinton. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. That seems like so long ago. It it seems like so long ago. So what we just learned today is remember when that came out and his first statement said, oh, I was just talking about adoption with them. No big deal, just adoption. Now, 
we learned subsequently that wasn't true because as you'll also recall, he released the emails that he himself sent where it became clear that they were talking about Hillary Clinton and not about adoption. So, so we know they weren't talking about adoption. Here's the problem. The Washington Post this morning reveals that Donald Trump, President Donald Trump, drafted the statement that said they were talking about adoption. In other words, the president lied. <gasps> So the leaks clearly come from Jared and Ivanka because as per usual, the article says that Jared and Ivanka wanted to do the right thing. Jared and Ivanka just wanted to be transparent and tell the truth, but they were overruled by Donald Trump. Just like and they wanted to do the right thing with uh, opposing the trans military ban. They're so exactly. good, Jared and Ivanka. It's so great that there's someone that's just spreading the word of their goodness <laughs> to the, the press anonymously. <laughs> And then the second interesting thing about the Washington Post piece is that Hope Hicks made an appearance for the first time as also wanting to do the right thing. Now, quickly explain to us Hope Hicks, Mia. Oh, my God, Hope Hicks. I want to do a story on Hope Hicks because Hope Hicks used to be some, like, young PR girl that worked for Ivanka. And when Trump – please jump in if I'm getting these facts wrong – but when Trump um, decided he was going to run for president, he called her down – a couple of floors because Ivanka's office was a few floors above and basically said, do you want to be my spokesperson and my press secretary? And she's like, okay. And she is still by his side and she has been one of the most loyal people. She doesn't talk. She doesn't give interviews. There's never any drama attached to her. Um, She's someone who is woefully unqualified, which describes absolutely everybody attached to, to Trump and led by Trump himself. But she has always been like how would you even describe it? I don't even know what her official role is, like special well, advisor so, to the president. So she's she's 28 years old still, um, and she is Trump's longest-serving political aide. So she's really sort of um, stayed the course here. And we never, as you say, we never hear anything about her in the press. So the fact that she has made an appearance in this Washington Post piece as lobbying along with Jared and Ivanka for Donald Trump to tell the truth rather than to lie... This is my speculation, but I find that very interesting because she is clearly making a decision to enter the fray for the first time because she's perhaps seeing the writing on the wall. And perhaps she knows, again, this is speculation, but perhaps she knows that Donald Trump has gotten himself into some significant legal troubles, not just political troubles, but legal troubles by lying. And she's already beginning the process of distancing herself from those actions. So she has plausible deniability. Yeah. Because we just don't hear about her. This is the first time that we have heard about her in a piece like this, one of these pieces with with confidential sources revealing um, goings-on. So that's my take on that piece. Just to get to the point of this, uh, quickly, of this Washington Post piece, if if Trump helped draft this statement that was lying about what the Donald, Donald Trump Jr. meeting was about, that's a crime, is it? That's obstruction of justice or a crime or something? No, I, I, I don't know if it's a crime. I don't think anyone quite knows yet if it's okay. a crime or not. But what it does show is that he lied. Okay. Just to um, pick up on something you said, you said he helped to draft it. No, the story says that against the advice of everyone around him, Donald Trump said, nope, I'm going to say that they were talking about adoption. And he wrote it himself. And this is entirely in keeping with the way his presidency has been run, which is that he is not just the president. He's also his PR man. He's also his political advisor. He's all of these roles wrapped into one and he will not listen to anyone. So enter 
um, the new chief of staff, Kelly. What's his first mm, name? John, John Kelly. Kelly. How is this going to work? Because everyone, you know, he's talking about I'm going to bring a new military discipline. He's a military man. He's been described by um, Sarah Huckabee Sanders as he's a peer of Donald Trump in that he's his same age. Donald Trump, you know, used to insult Reince and, and demean him and sometimes just not want him to even be in the room. So he clearly had no respect for him. Donald Trump loves military guys. He does. But... And so the first thing he did with this discipline is sack Scaramucci, which I understand Scaramucci was a wild cannon, but he can sack everyone unless he sacks the president. That's where the ill discipline comes from, doesn't it? My first reaction to this news, so a lot of people will say, okay, John Kelly's really going to get serious with this White House. You know, he's a Marines, a Marine Corps general. He is a military guy who's really going to impose some discipline on proceedings, and that's a good thing. That's sort of the conventional wisdom at this point, right? It's like, thank goodness we now have a growing up in the room. Mm. And something that we've we've that that's been the conventional wisdom all along like um so-called mad dog mattis um who is um another one of trump's senior advisors is also a military guy he's also got um he's got a number of senior advisors who come from the military and the conventional wisdom is they're gonna you know really impose some order on the place but You've got to also stop and remember how inappropriate it is that in a democracy you have the president surrounded by all these members of the military. That's yeah. not actually how we generally want democracies to look. We want the military and politics to be separate from one another. And while it's true that he might bring a more professional or more ordered approach to the White House, it's also worth stepping back and looking at the big picture. Donald Trump loves strong men. He loves authoritarian regimes. He's on the record as saying that he yeah. likes Putin's sense of discipline and order in Russia. Let's think also about the big picture, which is that he's now basically fired everyone who isn't a former military member or Hope Hicks. What does that mean going <laughs> forward? Or related to him. Donald Trump likes surrounding himself with military men who are old, white, and hyper-masculine with this hyper-masculine culture, which says everything about the man, doesn't it? And just finally, before um, we have to go, on the subject of that, the speech he gave that, again, has been overshadowed by the by the circus nature of the mooch and Priebus and everything, he gave an absolutely chilling, what some have described as the most dark and ominous speech of his presidency while he was talking to a group of law enforcement officers a couple of days ago. Can you explain the significance of that? The attacks on our police are a stain on the very fabric of our society, and you are entitled to leadership at the highest level that will draw a bright line in the sand, not a red line in the sand that isn't gone over, but a bright line in the sand and we will protect you, that I can tell you, and we will say enough is enough. So yeah, so he was speaking to some um, police on Long Island, um, which is just near New York City, um, and uh, he, he suggested to them that they should rough up prisoners a little more. So the actual example he used, which by the way, my first thought when I heard this is that Donald Trump knows about the police from watching television. That's it. Like, he has the same knowledge of the police as I do. Because um, what he said to them was, he said, when you're putting a suspect in the back of the um, the paddy wagon, although he didn't use that term because that's Australian, when you're putting them in the back of the van and you um, protect their head by putting your hand on top of their head, um, don't. 
don't worry if, if their head gets hurt when you're putting them in, in the back of the van. Um, what I found up upsetting about that was that, first Apart of all, from the everything. saying it, <laughs> but it was really upsetting to see um, everyone applaud when he said mm-hmm. that, laugh and applaud, um, because... You know, you could argue that there's a crowd dynamics thing at work there. Like it's, mm. it's uncomfortable when you're in a crowd to do the opposite of what everyone else is doing. But you just really, in times like these, as a citizen, you turn to these institutions, um, like the police and you hope that they will be sort of, um, able to stand their own ground and, and follow their own, um, codes yeah. in times like this. But instead they all laughed. And that was what I found really, I mean, and also tone deaf. I mean, it was only a, a, a couple of weeks ago that Australian, um, an Australian woman was shot by by a, a policeman, and of course, there's the Black Lives Matter movement. So the issue of police brutality is is a hugely um, politically dyn- dynamitic, explosive is a hugely politically explosive issue, and to sort of joke about it in this dark, dark way. And again, that was just kind of brushed over. I, I believe that it was then afterwards um, condemned by military, you know, not military. I believe it was afterwards had to be condemned by police organisations across and the country. Various, and various police, um, police units did did speak up about it and say that that behaviour is unacceptable and I was really heartened by that. But, but as you say, like it's really um, Australians now have gotten a, a, a glimpse at, at just mm. how um, – what a what a huge topic this is in the U.S. and um, there's every week there's a story in the news. I mean, for instance, just this morning, a mentally disabled man in Brooklyn was shot by the NYPD. Um, and I bet you Trump just will be happy about that all the time. So yeah. um, it was upsetting. It was um, not going to so lie. A pattern is clearly developing that Trump speaks to a group of people and then they are forced to apologize for the inappropriate nature and unsavory yes. nature of the president's comments. We had the Boy Scouts last week. We had law enforcement officers this week. And by the way, <sighs> that's exactly why, you know, in itself, Trump hiring um, retired generals, in itself, it's not, ne- not necessarily troublesome. You just hope that you, you're just turning to the institutions now and, and, and saying that separation between the military and the mm. police and the government and the media, those separations are there um, as checks and balances on power. And you just hope that the institutions can withstand what is going to be an ongoing assault on their jurisdiction. Amelia, can you tell me this week that it's going to be okay? <laughs> um, How are you feeling? Look, Part of what's going on here, I mean, we've, we haven't even talked about what's going on politically. Like, this is all the sort of, like, Trump machinations. What we should keep in mind is that for people who don't agree with Trump's agenda, he's not getting anything actually done. I mean, his... That's good, um, right? We're happy about that. Well, if you don't like if you don't like what he wants to do, yeah, you can be happy about it because he's basically checked out of the legislative process. He's running a reality show, yeah. and without the president's support, even with a Congress that is um, controlled by Republicans, the failure um, to reform um, health care that happened last week in Congress shows that it's very difficult for Republicans to get anything done without mm. the support of their president. And so. If that pattern continues, if you disagree with Trump's agenda, maybe it will be okay because he's so checked out of the legislative agenda and process. On that happy note, 
Yeah, there you I, go. I, I, I had to work hard for that. <laughs> exactly. We got, there. <laughs> we got there. Um, thank you. I look forward to knowing who who's your pick for who the next person that's gonna gonna leave the reality show. Oh, interesting. Um, something's brewing with like I say, like something's brewing around um Hope Hicks, yeah. um, Jared and Ivanka, like these continued leaks of them going, we had nothing to do with this, and now Hope Hicks' appearance on the scene. That's interesting to me. Watch this space. Yep. All right. I'll thanks. talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Oh, I'm exhausted. Imagine if your job was covering this. I mean, it's exhausting just co-hosting this podcast. Um, I'm uh, going to be back with Amelia next time something happens, which is probably in about an hour. This show, Tell Me It's Going to Be Okay, was co-hosted by me, Mia Friedman and Amelia Lester. It was produced by Eliza Ratliff for the Mamma Mia Women's Podcast Network. Please follow our Facebook page. It's called Tell Me It's Going to Be Okay. We post every day uh, all the best stories. Um, We'll post the stories that we referred to in this podcast. And it's just a great um, real-time way to keep up to date with the minute by minute goings on of the White House. Subscribe in iTunes. Please tell a Trump-obsessed friend um, or even people that aren't Trump-obsessed. We're getting lots of comments back from people who say it's so overwhelming. There seems to be so much going on in Washington, but this podcast is a really accessible way to find out what goes on without it being too scary. I'm not scared. Are you scared? Why, Why should we be scared? I will see you next episode. Bye.